slightly enraged. <laughs> Mostly because you're looking at us saying, do a Sabbath, figure it out, get some rest. And most of us want to say to you, in my wildest dreams, I'm dying for rest. And so I want to address some of you in the room this morning who are thinking to yourself, this is all wonderful, but it's impossible for me. So we're gonna talk about that. To get started though, I wanted to share a memory I have with you. I had the privilege of living in Jerusalem for a time while I was in seminary and lived just outside the old city walls. And as you can imagine, it is such a dynamic city. Some of you have even been there. But to live there for a length of time and really get to the, into the rhythms of the culture, I was able to see Sabbath culturally, which was such a gift because that's impossible in the Western world. Now, it was to the point where, uh, on the rooftop of the school where I went, it was an old Israeli Defense Force base, and we stayed in the old barracks and the old bunk beds. It's, it's a trial. Uh, but you could stand on the roof and look out into the city and see the new city of Jerusalem and all the hubbub that was going on, unless it was Sabbath. And then got very quiet far fewer vehicles on the road, some in fact parked on the sidewalk because they had to get to Sabbath and turn that car off as sun went down and they were running late, so they had to walk the rest of the way. This photo that you see is actually Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, which is even more sacred. And these are the busy streets of Jerusalem. And you would see people walking around these typically chaotic streets just at peace and rest. Now, I'm dying for rest. Let me tell you a little bit about my story. So we have three little kids. One was a special gift that we were not expecting. So our girls are 14 and a half months apart. And we have our Owen, which you see next to me all the time. Um, here, and sometimes he's got a bow tie and suspenders. Now, it's a busy house, as you can imagine, and I would love, love, love nothing more than to have a, have a Sabbath, even for an hour. So this is the kind of Sabbath I'm longing for, yeah. <laughs> this is Elizabeth, she's our youngest, and she, this girl knows how to relax. And I would like to assume this posture for 24 hours every given week if life would allow me. I mean, that looks good, except that the fact that her neck is probably going to hurt in a little bit. But not her, though, because she's like rubber bones. But um, this, however, is the Sabbath that I get. Yeah, something along those lines. Um, which is nice, like two, there's two grown-ups, two kids, so there's two on two here, but maybe it's even a little more like this. Go ahead. Yeah, one's crying, one is trying to like be there and play, one's just picking her nose and probably um, taking care of some business in her pants that I'm going to have to clean up for and then cook dinner at the same time while I also paint somebody's toenails. It's a thing, you guys. Our house is so busy. 
So Lindsay says to us, and as a preaching team, we want to practice what we preach. We are not um, in a posture where we want to just teach something that we're, we don't quite understand for ourselves. And so I attempted Sabbath with those three kids. One afternoon, John was doing a project. I wanted to let him have his Sabbath moment, so he was working on a table that he's building. And I was going to take these kids to the park and just be present. Going to have my phone. I was, I was just going to play. So we get to the park. We've been there for 10 minutes. We're having a great time. One of them says, Mama, I got to go potty. There is no potty to be found. This is the kind of potty where you really need a potty. So I think to myself, all right, I put the baby down. I run to the car. I get something that will work. It takes care of business. We're cleaned up. We're ready. I go back over. They're playing. I pick up the baby, and up walks a red, gorgeous fox. He's about five feet from me and the baby. And we're at twilight here, and I think to my, and he's, and he's coming over, and he's sniffing where she was just sitting, and then eyeing me down. And I thought, Sabbath, are you out of your dang mind? I'm about to have my baby eaten by a fox. And I have some other stuff I just cleaned up. And I have this whole situation. Go There's nothing restful about this moment. Luckily, we scared the fox off. But only after I backed away slowly and said, get in the car. Everybody, get in the car now. But why, mama? You can imagine. If you're at the chicken park in Lafayette, that's where he lives. Some of you can relate to what I'm saying to you because you have little kids or you're a caregiver of an aging parent or you're in a situation where um, the pain in your body never allows you respite. Perhaps things just feel so relentless to you that you can't imagine engaging in any kind of Sabbath. That does not mean that Sabbath isn't for you in some way. So I want to propose that today that Sabbath is a practice, it's an experiment, but even more, it's a mindset, and it's done best in community. So let's go to the text, Matthew chapter 14, starting in verse 13. It's on the screens for you to follow along if you'd like. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fishes, they answered. Well, bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and two fish. And looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men, not including or besides the women and children. 
Now let me give you a moment of context. I imagine that those of you who feel like life is a bit relentless can really relate to Jesus and the disciples in this moment. They had just found out that John the Baptist had been beheaded. The guy that had baptized Jesus, the guy that had prepared the way, likely a good friend, a colleague, a mentor, a fellow disciple, was killed because Herod made a cheap promise to his daughter. John the Baptist had been beheaded and they were grieving. Most likely, they were forlorn, not to mention they're already tired. They'd been doing a bunch of ministry, they'd been traveling, they'd gone to Galilee, they'd been all over the place. And so they decide it's time to go away to a solitary place and rest. I can relate to this when I think about setting aside a time, a day, I take a day off to rest while the kids are in preschool and then someone gets sick. Well, so much for that plan. I no longer have a chance to rest in the way I wanted. And so the disciples are concerned that these folks aren't going to have enough to eat. They'd been, Jesus had been healing them all day, which probably means the disciples had been mingling with the crowds and talking with people, probably doing a bit of healing themselves at this point. And Jesus says, you give them something to eat. Anybody relate to that feeling where you're so depleted, you really have nothing left to give, you've planned to rest in your last desperate effort, and someone comes along and says, more, more, more. And Jesus says, you give them something to eat? Imagine their anger, their frustration. Are you kidding me? I don't have anything to give. I don't have anything for people to eat. Jesus says, bring me what you have and let me do the work. Bring me what you have. A friend of mine and colleague, former colleague within university, Sarah Chang, spoke on this text in March of 2020 and I've been thinking about it ever since. And she said a phrase that I continued to quote her about. I told her I quoted her a couple months ago and she laughed at me. But the quote is, Jesus is the depths of my reserve. When your reserves are all gone, you don't have anything left to give, you're tired and glossy-eyed, you have no more in the tank. You have to hold your hands out and say, Jesus is the depths of my reserve. Now, what does that mean practically? It's a practice of dependence. It's a mindset that we remember God is so good to us that we bring whatever measly gift that we have in dependence on him and he makes more. He's in this economy of taking two loaves of bread and five fish or the other way around, five loaves of bread and two fish and feeding more than 5,000 people with it. He is trustworthy to be able to make more where we have none or very little. When we say, Enough, Jesus. I don't have any more to give, but I trust you are the depths of my reserve. And it can be as simple as a prayer like that, that shifts our mindset to remember that Jesus is with us, to ask for help. A lot of my prayers in my prayer life right now are, help, Jesus, now please, before my head explodes. Jesus is the depths of my reserve. 
Jesus is interested in our intention and our dependence, making a plan to rest, being intentional about how we live so that on those off weeks where we actually do get to take those moments of extended rest, there's such a gift to us and a joy to us. But then we're lingering in a Sabbath mindset of dependence on Jesus every single day of the week because an extended time just isn't possible. Now, like I said, Jesus could make something out of nothing. And he did that in creation with God, out of the void, so the earth came. But typically, in his ministry on earth and beyond his call to us, is to ask us to participate with him. So in other translations, this story talks about how the disciples go out to find food. And someone in the crowd has something to give. Someone has a little bit to add to the community pot, and then Jesus makes more of it. And so my suggestion to us is a little bit the same. So when I lived in Israel, and I got to experience Sabbath as community, you watch people care for one another's children like a village of aunties and uncles and grandmas and grandpas. People chip in. They do this together. One, a, couple of, a couple of people might be over here baking the challah, which takes all day. Some people over here might be prepping the stews and the things that they'll eat for this special meals. Another might be making sure they have candles that haven't burned all the way down that they're going to light. Another make sure all the special clothing is ready to go. Another might be on kid duty, making sure everybody's staying out of trouble while all this can take place, making sure no one gets hurt, really, and survive, frankly. And that's okay. It's this beautiful look at what interdependence and community can look like. We have talked about Sabbath as independent individuals, and that is okay in some way. You should do that. Take time alone. But don't forget that Sabbath is meant to be communal. It's meant to be shared. We come here to worship together. Some of us is a Sabbath exercise. We go to make a meal and share in food with one another as a Sabbath exercise because we're remembering God's faithfulness and provision and then we're acting out of that. There's a Hebrew word, zachar. I'm speaking lots of Hebrew today. I'm spitting. It's a good thing you guys are way back there. Zahar literally means to remember God's faithfulness and provision and to act out of that. It's a Sabbath mindset. Zahar is a Sabbath mindset that we take with us, remembering that he is faithful so it's not all dependent on me. And it gives me this really fabulous excuse to ask for help. I am a helper. I am not good at asking for help. You should ask my husband. It's a problem. I want to pull my bootstraps up. I like to achieve things. I feel really good when my list is knocked out. I feel even better when it's done so that I can pretend to have a Sabbath with three little kids. You guys are supposed to laugh at that. That was kind of funny. I like to be productive. But in order to remember this kind of grace that God gives us in Sabbath, I have to slow down. And that's why another supplemental text for us today is Psalm 23. I know many of you are familiar with it, but I'm going to read it. 
I won't do it in Hebrew. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is a text that you could commit to your mind and heart. Say it back to yourself as your Sabbath practice. Have a mantra, Jesus is the depths of my reserve, as your Sabbath practice. As an achiever who wants to get things done, this song has been really powerful to me that I want to share the lyrics of. It's called Slow Me Down. And it takes Psalm 23 and and breathes a little bit of new life into it. If you haven't listened to the Porter's Gate or much of Sandra McCracken's music, you ought to go find it. It's really a gift. These are the lyrics. Oh, good shepherd, would you teach me how to rest? I'm rushing on. Will you make me to lie down? Will you build a fold by the waters that refresh? Will you call my name and lead me safely out? We pause safely out of the anxiety, safely out of the expectation to be a perfect parent, safely out of the expectation to do everything on God's green earth for my kids or others. Would you teach me how to rest? Verse two, from my anxious drive to labor on and on, from the relentless grind that has put my mind to sleep, will you call me back and gently slow me down? Will you show me now what to lose and what to keep? Oh, good shepherd, oh, good friend, slow me down, slow me down. Oh, good shepherd, oh, good friend, slow me down, slow me down. When my table's bent with only greed and gold and my grasping hands are afraid you won't provide, will you pour the wine that loosens up my hold, set your table here with what truly satisfied? Oh, good shepherd, oh, good friend, slow me down, slow me down. Oh, good shepherd, oh, good friend, slow me down, slow me down. On the busy streets trying to make myself a name, if, you're wor- if the work is yours, there's nothing I can claim. Hallelujah. Will you lead me home to the pastures of your peace? The house is yours. I'm sitting at your feet. Oh, good shepherd. Oh, good friend, slow me down, slow me down. Oh, good shepherd, oh, good friend, slow me down, slow me down. So will you, and you're breathing in, and you're breathing out, in your daily life, sing that back to yourself over and over again as your Sabbath reminder and mindset. That is a gift for those when life is relentless. And that is how we go to the table, remembering that Sabbath is a grace. It's a gift to us because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, our good shepherd, our friend. 
allowing the Holy Spirit to teach us along the way. Because of God's good grace to us and the gift of his son, Jesus Christ, we come now to communion to this table. Sabbath is about remembering God's faithfulness and provision and acting out of it, but so is the table. Remembering God's faithfulness in Jesus that on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And he gave thanks, much like he did feeding the 5,000. And he said, take this bread and eat it. This is my body which is broken for you. Take, do this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup and he poured the wine. He said, this is my blood which is shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. But you have your own version. <laughs> it's not as glamorous. Of bread and blood here, of the body and the cup. It's best to just peel it back here, take the bread, and you can do that now, and take the cup. As I finish saying that whenever we eat this bread and drink this wine, we remember Christ's death, resurrection, and that he's coming again. So our broken Sabbaths, our broken intentions, our missed opportunities are washed by the blood of Christ every day. And we start anew saying, oh, good shepherd, oh, good friend, slow me down, slow me down. Let me remember you. Let's pray. Holy God, we are so grateful for the gift of your son, Jesus, for the many graces that you offer us in remembering and having a Sabbath to pause and reflect. But God, what this is all about is dependence on you so that we might see your abundance. We want to see more of you. So God, would you take us to our knees depending on you and your goodness and your grace and your faithfulness. You, Jesus, are the depths of our reserve. We have nothing left to offer in our own strength. So good shepherd, Provide for us. Continue to be faithful to us. Give us open eyes and ears to see where you are on the move. And for those of us who don't have a relationship with you yet, would you stir our hearts and minds, give an ex us an experience of Jesus that moves us to faith in you. Give us greater trust when we can't do that for ourselves. We pray these things, giving thanks and praise to you. In Jesus' name, amen.